and welcome to the RCP Medicine Podcast. Today it is the end of June 2020. We are slowly coming out of the COVID pandemic and we are going to record another podcast for you today. And we have back Hussein. Hi Hussein. Hi Amy, thanks for having me back. Oh, it's always a pleasure. So you're going to present the case today. Would you like to start? Yes, thank you. So um, I thought I'd mix it up a bit and uh, give you two cases at once. Um, (laughs) Just because, as you know, uh, we've been talking about some interesting cases that have had some profound learning points uh, and reflections for us. But um, I was just thinking that actually when either of us are on call, we're never dealing with just one case. We're dealing with quite a few things at the Mm -hmm. same time. Um, so I thought I would crack on with two cases. Are you ready? As I'll ever be. Good. So just picture this, you're on call on a weekend. Um, you're feeling a bit lonely because your team has been consumed by A&E. Uh, some of your juniors have been redeployed or are off sick. So you, you're holding the bleep mm-hmm. uh, and you get two referrals uh, in the same minute. So the first one is from Resus in the red zone. Uh, So I work in a place where red means they could have COVID. Um, This is a 70 year old male who's come in with a bit of breathlessness. And so the breathlessness is what has triaged him to the red side. Um, But he's got a potassium of 7.2 and he's got a new score of about four um, and so that's the first thing that's, you know, he's going to be coming in. So he's, they put that on the on the tape list. The second one is a 90 year old lady who's also breathless, but she's actually been triaged to the ambulatory care unit. And um, they are not suspecting COVID. Um, she's got a news of only one. And the only thing piece of information we've got is that she was a GP referral um, possibly thought to have anemia, so wanted to work up for a transfusion. So, two cases, who are you gonna see first? Oh, this is gonna be tricky, isn't it? There's gonna be a sting in the tail somewhere. Okay, so, um, obviously I've got a phone call from Rhesus, 70 year old male, short of breath, with a very high potassium. Now, potassium of 7.2 can obviously lead to ventricular arrhythmias, and therefore cardiac arrest. So yeah. that is a particular concern of mine. Yeah. The 90-year-old, short of breath, very difficult, I think, to say that she definitely doesn't have COVID. Yeah. And I'm a little bit concerned that she's gone to the ambulatory care unit. Yeah. Because obviously, uh, in my hospital, our ambulatory care unit is what we call amber. So we mm. do wear surgical masks and we wear visors, gloves and an apron. But... You know, we thought that the patients that we see down there, we're trying to avoid anybody with COVID type symptoms. Yeah. So, um, have I got anybody else with me who I can ask to help? No. Lovely. Thank you very much. Okay. So, <laughs> I'm going to go into recess. Now, going into recess used to be you could pop in, but now, obviously, we have to put full PPE on. And that yeah. in itself can take quite a little bit of time. So, you know, the full um, mask and the gown and gloves. So I'm going to talk to somebody and ask them to repeat that potassium yeah. while I'm getting sort of into my uh, PPE. Um, 
because sometimes potassium can hemolyze um, yeah. and that may be reading falsely high. Yeah. And I'm just going to stop you there. So I've, I was being a bit mean. So okay. you, do ha you do have someone to talk to uh, oh, okay. in, in A&E. Um, and actually, you can ask them to do certain things whilst you're donning, etc. Okay, so I'm donning my clothes. I want to make sure that this gentleman has had a full A to E assessment. He said that he's short of breath, so obviously, want to, is he talking and, and sort of go through that procedure? I yeah. want to get an urgent ECG. I want to put him on a cardiac monitor. I want to find out whether there are any signs of hyperkalemia on the ECG. Yeah. So these are a low flat P wave, tall tentic T waves, slurring into the ST segment and a broad bizarre QRS complex. Now, if any of those are present, this can indicate that this gentleman could go into ventricular arrhythmia and cardiac arrest, and this would need urgent treatment. So I want, yeah. I want an ECG, I want repeat potassium doing. I'd also on the gas want to know, is he acidotic or not? Yeah. And is okay. the shortness of breath a consequence, actually, of the acidosis? And the individual is trying to breathe off carbon dioxide to sort of get rid of acid. Okay, excellent. So that is pretty much what I think most people would do. Okay. Uh, there's rightly um, people go towards the ECG first up with severe mm -hmm. hyperkalemia, um, mm -hmm. which this is above seven or above six point five, yeah. I should say. Um, the reassuring thing uh, was that actually the rest of his gas wasn't too bad okay. so he wasn't acidotic yeah. um the lactate wasn't particularly raised so it's 1.8 um but there are indications that he might have some renal failure what are the things on the gas that you look for to say that um so there's often a creatinine on the gas which you can which you can review sometimes it's not as accurate as a plasma creatinine but it's still helpful i'd look yeah. at the base excess yeah and i'd look at the bicarbonate levels yeah excellent so his base excess was negative and his bicarb was 13. okay so obviously if his bicarbonate's 13 it should be between 22 and 28 so that's indicating that he's losing bicarbonate somehow or not able to make bicarbonate so that is definitely indicative of sort of a, a kidney problem. And the base yeah. excess minus what was it? So minus four. Okay, so actually that's not too abnormal. It should be between minus two and plus two. Yeah. Um, so we are lacking from this. Yeah, actually, okay. we lack, we lack, yeah. Good, so I'll give you a bit of the history. So okay. this is, is uh, a 70 year old chap with no real past medical history, never been to hospital. Um, now this is of course during lockdown Mm -hmm. He has pretty much listened to the public advice to stay okay. at home. Yeah. Um, and he literally hasn't left the house. So he's quite dry. He looks mm -hmm. like he's lost a bit of weight. Um, actually, looks a little bit cachectic. Um, I mentioned he had a sort of a slightly elevated new score. So he was slightly hypotensive. He had a low grade fever of around 37.9. Um, but other than that, there's not really anything in the history. He's not taken any drugs or nephrotoxic drugs. Um, he doesn't drink large amounts of alcohol. Um, so what are you thinking in terms of pathology and etiology? So it could be multifactorial. So often um, it may not just be one cause for all of these things. 
also um, tricky. Okay, so let's figure this out. Do we have any more investigations? Do we have any blood tests, any chest x-rays? Yep, okay, so he's had a chest x-ray because obviously he'd come to the red zone, so we try yep. to get them quickly. Chest x-ray is completely clear. Okay. Um, and I should add to the new score, he's got no oxygen requirements. Okay. Um, his ECG did show peaked T waves, mm -hmm. um, but he was started on some uh, high potassium treatment pretty early on mm -hmm. and actually his repeat VBG showed that potassium had started to come down to six. Okay so he was given an insulin and dextrose and yeah. and he was also given some calcium chloride? Correct. Okay to stabilize the cardiac membrane. Okay fab. So um, common things are common. You said that he's dry he mm -hmm. said that he's been in the house, but he's not been taking any diuretics or anything like that. No. Is this a consequence of actually just not drinking enough and not looking after himself enough because of the impact of COVID? And is he dehydrated because of that? And yeah. it's more like a pre-renal acute kidney injury. Absolutely. Potentially. So, yeah, so this is almost word for word um, what the a &E team handed over to me. So... He's hypotensive, he's dry, he's cachectic, he's um, probably not been having much intake uh, as he normally does. Um, given the gas, um, this all looks like pre-renal failure mm -hmm. um, and that is leading to his high potassium. Mm -hmm. So all other things are kind of unremarkable. Uh, his FBC comes back and um, his white cell count slightly elevated, but he's not lymphopenic. Um, okay. we're not suspecting he's got any other indication of COVID, particularly with the chest x-ray. Mm -hmm. um, so he's had the potassium treatment, we're carrying on with that, he's given, been given some fluids as well. Are you mm -hmm. happy with that to admit him to hospital and, you know, sort of de-escalate that risk of COVID or the suspicion of COVID? Well, he definitely needs admitting to hospital, absolutely. Yeah. Um, when I, we're getting a lot of this now, I think as we're coming out of the COVID pandemic, from the height of it that it was back in April, is we're being asked when I'm in A&E to make a decision, yeah. can this patient go to a non-COVID ward? Yeah. And it is actually difficult to do that because I need to make a clinical decision to say that this patient definitely does not have COVID because if I put him in a bay and he does turn out to have COVID, then yeah. I've potentially then infected the staff and the other patients in the bay. Yeah. It's really hard. So when I'm trying to identify, I think somebody's got COVID, he's got a slight temperature of 37.9. And we know that the pyrexia is one of the key factors of COVID. Yeah. I don't want to try and take more of a history. So did he have a cough? Did he have a productive cough or a dry cough? No. Okay. Um, you said that his chest X-ray was clear. Yeah. So we didn't have those typical signs that COVID says. <laughs> That COVID often has, but that can sometimes happen sort of later on in the process of COVID. So again, it doesn't necessarily mean that he doesn't have COVID. Yeah. However, he wasn't lymphopenic, which again sort of strongly suggests COVID. Platelet count, what was that? Uh so uh, I've got his blood's actually in front of me. So let me read them out for you. And I'll be nice, I'll give you the rest of the bloods, shall okay. I? Okay. <laughs> yes, please. So platelets were six hundred and ninety. Okay, 
So platelet counter 690 is a thrombocytopenia, which goes against COVID, which they often had a very low platelet level. Okay. So given the pyrexia and the abnormal ABG and the temperature, actually, we could still be dealing with sepsis from a different source. Mm. Although I think you did say that his blood pressure was okay. Uh, it was slightly on the low side, so okay. 95 systolic. Okay, so I would still be thinking about an infection from elsewhere that I'd need to be looking for. Yeah. So could this be kidney infection, urine infection, meningitis, septic arthritis? We'd need to do a full identification screen of that. Yeah. Would Good. I de-escalate this man for COVID? No. Yeah. Okay, no, I, I think that's... I wouldn't, I think, actually. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think everyone has a different view of these things and I, I must admit I work in a trust where our pathway for COVID has changed mm. almost on a fortnightly basis yes um and so actually it's it you just have to take each case as yes. as it is as an individual I, thing I, there's yeah. there's not a one size fits fit all thing and I, I must admit at the time um there's a lot of publication either correctly or wrongly about um the sort of the multi-organ impact of COVID. Mm, um, yes. And I was particularly concerned about uh, acute kidney injury as well. So yes. um, actually, by the time I did see him, um, we had agreed to still keep him red uh, mm, until mm. we either had uh, a negative swab uh, or further information. Um, you've mentioned something uh, there about sepsis, and I'll just give you the rest of his bloods. So okay. white cell count was 23. Mm. Um, but it's neutrophilia, not a lymphopenia. Okay. Um, his what? And oh, so I'll give you another number here. His ferritin was two thousand. Mm. So coupled with his high platelets, mm. what what's the cause of those two results? Do you think? What was his CRP? CRP was seventy. Does he have an underlying? diagnosis that is causing the raised ferritin and the raised platelet count i mean you can get it in lupus but i mean it's a very odd age to present with that i'm probably missing something completely obvious aren't i <laughs> all right i'll give you further information now. so his renal function is now back okay what do you think his creatinine was or i'll phrase it differently what's the highest creatinine you've seen oh probably 1500 Okay, that's beating this one. This was oh. nine, 988. Ooh, was and what was, his, what was his urea? His urea was 90. 9-0? Nine 9-0. Nine wow, wow. Yeah. So this is severe <laughs> kidney failure, isn't it? <laughs> I have never seen a urea that high. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I'm quite happy to attribute this, uh, his high platelet and ferritin to this as well. Uh, mm -hmm. I think his, his kidney failure was you know, completely causing uh, a, a significant systemic inflammatory response. So um, I'm just going to um, throw a question at you for the, any of those doing MRCP. So if you've got a patient who's got raised ferritin, raised platelet counts, and has probably had a bit of a temperature and has been unwell recently and has an underlying rheumatological condition, what potential diagnosis would you think of? I mean, it's rare, but it's the sort of stuff that might come up in MRCP. So, lupus? 
So lupus could cause it to trigger this condition off. Mm, I'll pass. I don't want. I don't want to guess wrongly. <laughs> I'm probably going to say it wrong. It's hemophagocytic lymphangiohistiocytosis. Right. <laughs> so it's just something that comes up in um, exams sometimes on macrophage activation syndrome. And you often get a raised ferritin. And how do you diagnose that, that condition particularly? By very, very, very clever people and a bone marrow. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you need right. to, ultimately, you need a bone marrow. And you yeah. see the haemophagocytes actually on the bone marrow. It's like munching away. Yeah, um, okay. But, um, so that's going to be... Somewhere on our differential. <laughs> oh, I mean, pretty, yeah, very low. But I mean, it is an interesting condition and I've seen one case of it. Um, yeah. So it does happen occasionally. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So with the blood results I've given you yeah. uh, and the etiology, which both, you know, both of us and Amy have agreed on, what, mm -hmm. what are your next steps with this patient? So this gentleman has very, very poor kidneys. I need to, I mean, I'm, I assume he's got a catheter in, but I definitely need a catheter in because um, yeah. I need to find out, does he have a blockage? Has he got some post-renal failure as well? Mm -hmm. Get the catheter in, dip the urine, is there any blood, any protein? Yeah. Um, I need to speak to the renal team. Yeah. Are you going to call ITU? Uh, I so ITU could do haemofiltration. Mm-hmm. And the renal team may want to do a uh, sort of urgent hemodialysis. Yeah. He and what's, is... what's your criteria for referring someone for hemofiltration? So, uh, okay, so um, urgent dialysis, I'd want potassium that's resistant to treatment. Yeah. So if I've, given, if I've treated this and it hasn't responded to treatment, then I need to speak to them. A persistent metabolic acidosis. Yeah. would be one. Um, one would be um, pulmonary edema that hasn't responded to treatment. Yeah, brilliant. So those are the three things uh, that I look for in this case. So he didn't okay. have an acidosis. Yeah. His hyperkalemia was responsive to medical therapy. Okay. And he had no signs of pulmonary edema either clinically or on the x-ray. So didn't need to call ITU. Okay. Um, the very good A&E team had already spoken uh, to Renal mm -hmm. uh, about the plan. And actually... Um, the fact that when he was catheterized, he was passing urine mm -hmm. uh, actually was quite reassuring. So he didn't actually need any immediate therapy. And, and from the advice given by uh, the renal team uh, was actually that, yes, this fits very much with an AKI. Mm -hmm. um, Pre-renal needs to be filled up. Mm -hmm. okay. Happy? As I'll ever be. I mean, the, um, we, we did. We've done a podcast on acute kidney injury as well, haven't we? Yeah. So, um, just if you are listening, it's always good to go back and listen to that episode and that yeah. will sort of go a little bit more detail about the further investigations yeah. that we do. And My so are you are you going to just from everything I've told you, say if I was an AE with you and had given yeah. me that, would you leave it there and just say, admit, carry on with the treatment, renal have been spoken to, we've got a plan. Would you do anything else personally? Because at the moment I've just given you information okay so um obviously i see the patient myself take a history examination speak to the patients so explain to the patient the diagnosis possible treatments 
Um, what I've been doing with all patients I've been seeing in recess, well, everyone I've been seeing is phoning the family member as well um, yeah. and updating okay. them. So I'll wind um, it back again. Yes, you see, you're seeing a patient yourself and you're going to do okay. an examination. Yeah. What examination are you going to be doing? So I'm going to do a general examination. So, yeah. you know, looking at everything pretty much. So the yeah. hands, the pulse, the blood pressure, yeah. any edema. Yeah. I'm going to look in the eyes listen to the heart, for the tummy, listen to the lungs, so basically yeah. everything. Okay, good. And what on the tummy? So I want to identify if it's if there's any um, obstruction, if it's distended, any ascites, does he have a palpable bladder, although he's yeah. catheterised, so that's unusual. Is there any tenderness in the renal angle? Does yeah. he have an enlarged liver, an enlarged spleen, um, feel his abdominal aorta? Yeah. Um, although he hasn't complained of abdominal pain, no. It's unlikely that that's... Um... Okay, so no organomegaly on your mm -hmm. abdominal exam, no mm -hmm. renal flank tenderness, tummy soft on tender. Mm -hmm. You can't palpate the bladder, but he has been catheterised. Okay. Anything else you're going to examine in the abdomen? I've probably forgot something. I've inspected, I've palpated percussion and auscultation. So um, I'll uh, percuss and, and then have a listen as well, see if I can hear for bowel yeah. sounds. So what... What aspect of the abdomen exam would you say any clinician, either student or professional, probably doesn't examine in everyone because it could be awkward or isn't commonly a cause of what we see in medicine? Examining the genitals and yes. the rectum. Yes, good. Okay, so this man had a normal abdomen. Okay. Uh, he was catheterised very kindly by the nursing team, mm -hmm. um, but no one had mentioned he had a very enlarged right testicle. Ooh, okay. Um, and so actually when I saw him, the reason I, so I don't normally examine testes unless, you know, there's an obvious need to, and, yes. and I wouldn't argue that this was an obvious need to. The only reason I looked down there was because uh, there was very dark, almost thick pus-like urine coming Ooh. in the capita, and so I just thought it would be best to look, you know, in, mm. in the in the scrotal testicle region. Mm -hmm. um, and he had a very large, um, almost cyst-like structure, um, which was quite tender. Okay. So I was thinking, yes, post renal, an obstructive cause. Mm -hmm. um, and I was actually worried about uh, possibly a, a developing incarcerated hernia. Mm. Um, so I requested a CT scan mm -hmm. um, because I was worried that there was something, you know, brewing here, although his lactate and everything else was fine. I was, I was worried that there might be something more surgically minded here. Yeah. Um, and actually that's what's, what the main problem was. So I know. Yeah. Is Go it Fornius, gan Fornius gangrene? No, sadly. Oh, damn. Fortunately <laughs> well, not, because that, that's okay. a horrific, horrific time. No, yeah. it's something a bit less exciting than that. But um, what the CT revealed was that he had a very large right hemiscrotal cyst. Um, oh, and this had caused uh, a trabeculated thick walled bladder, um, which is basically an, an indication of chronic outflow obstruction. Um, and within that, obviously, he's, he's, he's probably had infection sitting there for, for some weeks, I would argue. 
Um, and chronic outflow obstruction can also cause hydronephrosis. So he had quite significant bilateral hydronephrosis, um, which then leads to his kidney impairment. Um, so that's actually the process that we had. Um, um, what transpired through his stay was that he had his, his um, microscopy and cultures from his urine grew a Klebsiella, and okay. he was treated with ciprofloxacin. Um, he was left with a long-term catheter and through discussions with our urologists, um, he's got a plan in place to start Tamsulosin and he'll be reviewed in the community. Um, but I just wanted to, the reason I just brought this case was actually, we've all thought he's got AKI mm. from a pre-renal cause, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> he's got low intake, he's been in lockdown, he's a bit hypotensive, but actually don't forget to look for your post-obstructive cause. Yeah. Um, you've quite correctly highlighted that we've we've covered AKI in a previous episode, um, which is predominantly pre-renal, um, yeah. but actually don't forget the post-renal causes. And yeah. just because it's being referred to medicine doesn't necessarily mean that there isn't a surgical cause for it. Mm. I think what else it highlights as well is the importance of examination. Yeah. Um, and maybe history. I mean, you may have picked up on that in the history taking. Um as well, but certainly, um, you know, examining everything, um, particularly the external genitalia in patients with acute kidney injury, I think is a really key learning point. Yeah, definitely. absolutely. And I think what I've seen, I'm sure all of us have seen uh, during this very strange times is actually people staying away from uh, mm. hospitals and GPs. Mm -hmm. uh, they are presenting with quite severe, significant uh, pathology that's been causing them problems for weeks yeah. and actually they, they come in an extremist like this gentleman with you know, mm. quite significant kidney failure um, whereas otherwise you know normally he might have actually gone to see his GP um, mm. after a week of noticing that his testicle was swollen mm. um, and sometimes I think we are quite biased as clinicians particularly now because we're so focused on COVID um, that we're asking him like oh is your breathlessness you're being unwell is it because you've got COVID but actually you, you said it earlier common things are common um, so you're more likely to have renal failure from those kind of causes than, than COVID, mm. even in mm. these, these strange times. Okay, good. Um, Whoa, <laughs> I feel like so, I've had an exam. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, just a, a couple of things uh, that just to recap was um, in terms of hyperkalemia treatment. Yeah. So there are uh, two main mechanisms really of, of hyperkalemia in, in this context. One is increased potassium release from cells, either mm -hmm. in things like rhabdomyolysis or severe hypoglycemia. Um, yeah. Or um, you can have it from uh, renal failure, so reduced uh, egg, uh, excretion. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of the treatment for it, there's kind of three things that I always have in my head. One is the, uh, the calcium gluconic um, administration so that's has an antagonistic uh, effect on the membrane actions of potassium so it protects you from a cardiogenic perspective and um, mm -hmm. you then give the insulin and glucose to drive back the extracellular potassium back into cells and then if those don't work then you have to remove the potassium manually for want of a better word and that's where the diaphragm is 